0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is making history with her beautiful voice and her compelling story. Now known as the first trans woman to perform the national anthem for the Oakland A's, San Francisco Giants, and the San Francisco Deltas, as well as the San Francisco Symphony opera singer Brianna Sinclair. Brianna, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting
0: me, Melinda. Did I say your name right? You did, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I like, and I said this before we even started recording the show, like I just uh, enjoyed following your story because it really is a miraculous one and it's an inspiring one. And I think that what you represent is so powerful and I'm really excited for you to be sharing your story on the show today. Um, so I just want to start with a little background. So you grew up in Baltimore, correct? Yes, from Bmore, home of the awesome. Orioles and the <laughs> Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> I love it, I love it. So what were your first experiences with music?
1: So I, my grandmother, she played a lot of classical artists in her home. And when she would babysit my brother and I, that's all she would play. She would play a lot of hymnals and Negro spirituals and a lot of African-American opera singers like Leontine Price and Jesse Norman, Grace Bumbrey. And she took me to my first opera at the age of five and I, I my grandmother told me that I said this to her that this was something that I wanted to do for the for the rest of my life mm-hmm. because I was so like, I guess in a trance when I saw uh, Madame Butterfly at the lyric Opera House in Baltimore. And I, I naturally had a gift of singing and I remember growing up in a New Shallow Baptist Church. I was studying under um, Dr. Nathan Carter, Rustin Power, and I sang my first solo when I was about five years old. And I saw people at church like on the ground. I'm like, "What is going on?" Like, <laughs> like you know. And my the pastor went up to my mother and said, "You need to do something with this child's voice because." Mm it's extremely powerful. And so my grandmother kind of, well, she she invested in me. She made sure that I got lessons at Morgan State University under Nathan Carter when I started at 12. And then I went to Baltimore School for the Arts, and then the rest is history. So <laughs> I love
0: that. I feel like it's a kind of an age-old story with a lot of singers that you grow up singing in church. But I what I really love is that you were exposed to opera at such a young age, because I would say even in the Black community, sometimes we really aren't afforded those opportunities to be able to expand our horizons when it comes to musical taste so I'm sure even being a a black opera singer that was kind of almost an anomaly in itself because I actually this is a this is a little thing. I actually went to school for opera as well and never never wanted to be an opera singer I really just went for the training because most of my music is very pop soul but when I had had to do the education on my own to really be exposed to other black female opera singers because it's very rare, but when you discover them, it's like, oh, it's like the gates kind of open up, you know? So who who were some of your uh, biggest influences when you decided to go into opera as your full-time career?
1: Uh, Well, first I want to say, tomorrow's my grandmother's birthday. (laughs) She actually turns 86. She was my first influence, and I think you know, with within my family, there was this emphasis on education and an emphasis on pursuing a career that you're passionate about and taking on those chances. And you know, before I transitioned, my mother, I you know, I, she grew up with two black boys, so and she wanted to make sure that we go out in the world ready and prepared for any circumstances that come before us. Yeah. And also, uh, my grandmother, when she introduced me to Jesse Norman, I knew, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is an icon. This is a legend. That's that that's if She was like a mentor, even though I only met her once. Oh, and- 15 years old when I was at the Tanglewood Institute music program in Lenox, Massachusetts. And this was before I transitioned. And I remember Jesse Norman coming up to me and hugging me and looked me in the eye and said, there is something special about you. And I will never forget that moment. And I, and I was just so, just well, starstruck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the second thing was, was that I, she was a mentor. I I saw her beat the odds of adversity and racism. And a lot of African American female opera singers, we go through a lot. It's really, really hard for us.
0: Mm -hmm. And Mm
1: -hmm. we have to know everything. We have to work hard, like literally. And and also as a trans woman, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done within the community, within the classical community. And, it, it, it's a challenge, it's very difficult, but my grandmother always said to me that you have to keep pushing forward, look to the prize, look to the hills, which cometh my help. That's what Amen. my grandmother would oh. say to me Amen. <laughs> yes, Amen. as a child.
0: So I, I wanna backtrack a little bit because in general, I feel like there is still this, this really odd discourse between the black community and the LGBTQ community. And I know it's mainly because, you know, a lot of black communities roots are in the church and, you know, we could go into a whole conversation about you know yes, the messages yes, that the a church whole other conversation. right right right. But how did growing up in the church play a factor in your life before you realized what your true identity was and before you transitioned?
1: Yeah, I uh, I, I discovered my identity at five. I and it's weird because I mm. uh, Janet Mock, she's a uh, well known uh, trans journalist and activist, and when she said about her discovery of being trans at the age um, five, around my age, mm-hmm. I mean, she said it was her first conviction in life.
0: Wow. And
1: I remember when I discovered that and my dad kept forcing me to play basketball. Cause my father, he's six foot eight, you know, he's a big guy. Oh, wow. And so he was trying to get me to play basketball. And I said, no, I want to do the arts. And there was a lot of discord between my father and I, because he thought uh, at initially I was gay and it wasn't a sexuality issue, it was mostly dealing with uh, a gender issue. And it affected me throughout my middle school, high school years and being called all types of names, being bullied. But when I studied at Baltimore School for the Arts at, for my high school program, And I I remember I auditioned, I auditioned with The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow from Annie. I love it. (laughs) And I I sang that song and I remember that same day, I got a call back and I told my mom and my dad, they were divorced at the time. And my dad said, I don't want you to be in a school full of faggots. It's going to transform my son into this, but my father didn't realize that Baltimore school for the arts was a safe haven for me. It was a protection because I was with people of my kind yeah. and also, you know, Baltimore school for the arts is in the inner city and uh, it's kind of like similar to the fame school of LaGuardia We're like sister schools, LaGuardia, yeah. like the fame school. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and um, yeah. And I, and I was exposed to a lot of things. I saw like my first I saw a couple of drag queens. I saw a bunch of trans women walking on the street. So it was an eye open. I was like, wow, like I can actually express myself. But as soon as my mother picked me up from Baltimore Baltimore School for the Arts, I changed my persona like that. I was like talking really low, making sure my hand doesn't do a little limp, like all types of things. Mm. But it was a struggle because I had to pose as something that I was not to really make my family feel comfortable.
0: Right. You know, there are a couple of things that come to my mind as you're speaking. One, it's that arts truly save people's lives. And I think people don't realize that, you know, I, I enjoy a good sporting game, I'm not going to lie, but I do think that there's always an <laughs> emphasis on sports over arts. But I truly think that if there was more of an emphasis on arts, I think that more people would feel comfortable being who they are and coming to terms with their true identity in the arts. And it is a shame that just, you know, in society that everybody kind of benefits from music, but nobody actually wants to pay for it or invest in it. Yeah. And I noticed that so much. So I love that the arts really is what made you come to terms with like, this is who I am. and, And this is, you know, the path that I'm going to take. I think that's a really beautiful thing. So what was the turning point for you when you realized, you know, you knew, say you knew your identity at five, but you're like, this is, I'm ready to make the transition.
1: So when I started my bachelor's, uh, degree at the California Institute of the Arts, mm-hmm. I was studying as a tenor at first for the first three years. And then my third year, uh, was when my whole life transformed because I was positioned to study with a coach in New York City, uh, for that summer of my, uh, post junior at uh, Cal arts. And I was in an early transition, you know, I was in an early like stage. And I remember, well, there's a couple of things. The first thing is I remember when I was at school at my first, I guess, gay encounter. Cause I I tried to pose myself as gay. It was comfortable and people sort of accepted me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, you know, dated a gay man just once. And he said to me, he said, and I remember this day. We were in the dorm, and he said, "There's something interesting and different about you." And he said, "I don't think you're gay. There's mm. something else going on." So, so uh, we, we we stopped dating, and then that was when the self discovery started to happen. So then. Secondly, there was a trans male that was at uh, my bachelor's program, and he was in the film and visual arts program there. Mm -hmm. And when he said to me that he was trans, my jaw went to the floor because I would have never known that you could actually transition and and get hormone therapy and go see doctors and et cetera. So then I started doing therapy at uh, my bachelor's program. And I remember I said to my therapist and I said to her, I'm ready. And she's like, I know you are. You look like you've been ready for a while. So so she wrote my my letter to the doctors so then I can start hormone therapy. The third thing was um, when I was asked to study with that coach in New York city. Cause I was going to audition for Manhattan school of music and mm-hmm. Juilliard for my master's program. And that fell through
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I emailed the teacher and I said, um, I am in the middle of transitioning. Uh, I'm not going to be singing tenor anymore. And he stopped talking to me. Then I was living with a friend of mine and her roommate and her roommate was a straight male. And I remember coming back. It was in Harlem. I remember coming back to the Brownstone. My luggage was in the garbage. My purse was in the garbage and I was homeless for three months. Oh, my mother my had God. lymphoma cancer that year. She had, so I didn't want to talk to my mother because she was struggling through her lymphoma cancer, which she is in remission. Thank, thank the Lord. And my family completely opted out and disowned me. My gay uncle, which I was shocked, disowned me. And because his, his theory was, can you just be gay and, and, and keep the feminine stuff in the home? Mm. And so there, there was a lot of that going on. So I was homeless on the street and I remember taking out two dresses from that suitcase that was in the garbage I took up my purse and I wore those two dresses and only flip-flops that I had because my feet were so big. I didn't didn't know where to find shoes. And I wore flip-flops and those two dresses for three months on the street. I slept in Central Park. I traveled to internet cafes just to talk to my friends because they were worried about me. My phone shut off because I I wasn't able to contact anybody. And I really thought in that moment that this was my life. This is it. Mm -hmm. I I'm unemployed. I can't get a job. I remember I, there was a, a trans woman named Ava. She was a fully transitioned woman. She was Latina. And she we hung out for a while. And, I, and she said to me, you need to do, go all the way through. She kind of uplifted me through that process. And that's when I decided that I fully transitioned mm-hmm. uh, bodily and everything. But there was uh, a guy named Chris. And he saw me uh, walking to the corner store and I was like coming. and he he went up to me and he said, wow, you have such a beautiful voice. And I told him my story and I said, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out a way to go back to school, but I, you know, because I was going to sleep in the alley because there was a garbage can down there, and I was going to go in there and sleep in there and I, you know, it was protecting, you know, the garbage can was up and I made sure I left before they got the garbage. And he said to me, uh, What I'm gonna do for you, I'm gonna write you a check and I want you to take first class back home to finish your senior year at Mm. CalArts. And two weeks afterwards, he let me stay at his home for two weeks and then um, there was no sexual exchange, there was nothing. There was none of that. Mm. He respected me, he took me out to dinner, made sure I had food. um, And I took my first uh, first class plane ticket back to CalArts. And he said to me, "My only promise from you is that you get into the Metropolitan Opera and you send me your degrees." <laughs> so that was that was my way of giving back to him. And Melinda, if it wasn't literally for him, or there was some angel of protection or something going on, I would not be here today. And being homeless in New York City, I you know I dealt with sexual abuse. Uh, I was raped in a car. Um, I was beat up. It was really bad, Melinda, and I really thought this was it. And when you hear black trans women and their stories and what they go through, it is real. It is scary and it's real. So yeah, and then that's when I fully transition and move forward with my life.
0: Wow, I just, I'm sitting here looking (laughs) at you and like, you just would never know that someone (laughs) as poised and as beautiful and just kind as you are, has been through so much like I'm like emotional just hearing your story oh, no, so um, I don't mean to make you emotional no 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 it's 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 really it's really incredible how much you have overcome and do you still talk to Chris by chance Um, uh, every so often but I know he's been sick for a bit mm-hmm. so but I messaged him when I got my
1: master's degree at the yeah. conservatory and he was so proud and he said to me just make sure you get accepted into the Met because I want to be front row and I want to give you flowers for all your hard work.
0: Wow. <laughs> so. See, there are good people left in the world. There and are. That's,
1: it's very few.
0: <laughs> that is inc- the wow. That is an incredible story. And I love hearing that. I love hearing that. It gives me faith in humanity. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, just I a know has been going on. <laughs> so girl. <laughs> so I wanna I do want to touch on something because I don't think people realize how difficult it truly is for specifically Black trans women. And if you could just talk a little bit about the rights that you are still fighting for as Black trans women to give a a, a bigger picture so that people truly understand what the fight is.
1: The main goal is humanity. Really it is, it's about civility. And if we can't get a job, how are we supposed to get ready for interviews? You know, if we don't have a roof over our head, and 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 no support or no help, and we're getting killed every day, I just feel like it, the issue is not being uh, being met. Even though we have a bunch of trans activists and trans people who are doing amazing things for the community, it is folks who are still living in a transphobic, homophobic, racist mentality that's keeping us down. Yeah, and. Uh, trust me, I've been in jobs where I've been discriminated against and fired for no reason and I would come to work on time, do my job, etc. I remember when I applied for a job in San Francisco and the into the interviewer said to me, um, I'm sorry, but we don't we don't take people like you at our job, but thank you for applying. you have a great application and I'm like, like what? <laughs> I was so in shock, and I was so shocked. And that um, it's an issue. It's it's scary mm-hmm. because I am very anxious when I go out into the world because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And, right. But I have to uh, stay strong, keep my head up high, and I'm dealing with being trans and being a black woman. It's just it's a lot. There's a lot of things overlapping that I have to go through and deal with. And it does not matter how pretty you look. It does not matter um, how passable you look as a trans woman we all get discriminated Right, against.
0: right. And it's probably, I mean, we know this, but it's a, a, a level of fear on the other person's part because people fear what they don't understand. And if people just sat down and tried to have some form of understanding in, in all aspects, in, in terms of you know speaking to people of different races, different cultures, um, different sexualities, different genders in general, we would be a lot further as a society, <laughs> but so many people are just afraid to take that step to just try Understand somebody else's story, so I'm so grateful for you, um, your your openness and your vulnerability, just to be able to speak about it. Because the more people that hear your story and just get to know you, I hope there will come a level of understanding. You know that fear is just kind of washed away as a whole. so I hope so. I hope so, girl. I mean, you know, we'll wait a while. I'm just like, we're probably looking at things that are, you know, in general, just discrimination that our parents probably went through, you know, in the 50s and 60s. We're like, it is 2021. How are we still going through this? It (laughs) is. Exactly. You know? So let's talk about the opera community as a whole. What are some positive um, changes and progressions that you have seen and where do you think they're still lacking and they need to work on?
1: <laughs> oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> um, the, the, the positive thing is, is that they are slowly opening up. Mm-hmm. I am shocked that I have performed in many major halls and like with the San Francisco Symphony, I sing at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. These moments in my life have been like nuggets of, of, there is a possibility that things are moving forward. That's the positive and there's only one. <laughs>
0: and,
1: <laughs> but the, the the other issue at hand is that before we even deal with hiring trans and gender non-conforming people in the entertainment world, we need to deal with the racism issue. That's the thing. And the opera community, I know many of, uh, black opera singers who are my peers, tell me the struggle that they go through mm. with that and how you have to keep moving forward. Like I always say, just keep pushing, keep moving forward, but it can be draining. It can be right. mentally and emotionally draining, um, because it's still, um, a white centered industry because a lot of the donors are, um, uh, uh most of them are white men who, donate and white women who donate to, uh, this community. So I think right now, I know, you know, we have this George Floyd situation, rest in power and rest in peace, but we, I have, I'm learning now that we are not a hashtag and we're not a, a hat or a shirt. And this is something that I have to keep reminding myself. It's, it's the changes. And don't change because we're forcing you to change, change because you want to. Mm -hmm. And that's, I've been kind of feeling a little weird about seeing like, uh, you know, titles saying, you know, uh, movies of just black lives focused, you know, no, hire more black actresses and black actors, give them more lead roles. I don't want to see all of this. I want to see actually the work and and that's the thing. I'm not seeing much of the work. but when i studied at uh, at the san francisco conservatory of music it was really hard for me because i was transitioning and like really transitioning like i got my name changed and all and all of that and most of my peers at the conservatory had wealthy parents and and fathers to pay for their tuition and Mm -hmm. i had to work two jobs i auditioned every year to get a scholarship so i can stay for my master's program um I remember one teacher and I won't say his name. Uh, he didn't like me for some reason because he was uncomfortable. And I remember hearing him down the hall when I was, we were we had opera workshop and I was singing the Carmen uh, aria and the duet uh, the, with the trio and the cast. And I was going backstage, you know, getting ready. And he said, I heard him talk to another student saying she's never gonna make it. Why do people mm. want people like her? And I remember hearing that. And I said, wow, and then I went back up, I performed my song, got a standing ovation, and then I called it, you know, I left. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but uh, Melinda, you have no idea the amount of um, darts that I have to go through. But the positive thing is there are good voice teachers like Shirley Greenewald. I'm studying with her at the San Francisco Opera. She is incredible. She uplifts me. And she said to me, Brianna, your main goal is to sing. Put the transness to size. She said, you don't want people to just notice your transness. She was like, you're smart. You have a degree. Um, she said, you are an opera singer that happens to be trans. Yeah. Don't let it define you <clears> That's all. And she really kind of uplifted me and uh, my coach at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, Ruby Pleasure, she's like my mother. She, you know, <laughs> Black woman. She was about, what, 5'1". That's, I was like, I mean, she looked like my mother. It's really strange. And she uplifted me through the entire conservatory process. And she, she always said, just be true to who you are and let that come out through your sound. Know your music front to back and you walk out there with confidence. And she would say that to me all the time because I would go to my lessons crying, like maybe I should quit the conservatory and Mm. quit classical music as a whole. Like my second year at the conservatory, over and over, I just kept thinking, should I quit music? Should I quit music and just, and stop? And thankfully I, I didn't quit because I didn't know these blessings were coming my way and I had to be grateful and be grateful of my gift yeah. and know that it is a gift from above. This is not mine. This is a gift from above and that I'm sharing it to the world. And I know people see that, oh, you know, as a performer, you see the glamor on your hair and all that. I was like, but it's hard work, Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and second of all, I, I don't think people understand that as a musician, as an artist, actress, whatever, we are actually serving the community and I know it's hard for people to get that in their head. You know, we are, uh, expressing our craft to audiences so that they can be free so that they can learn so that they can grow so that young folks, uh, want to pursue in something or get an inspired. That's our job. Our job is to inspire and uplift. Yeah. And
0: that is something that I have to continually remind myself you know, just to keep me humble. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I wanted, I was curious for you because you mentioned obviously being black and being a part of the LGBTQ community, it is a difficult thing to navigate, you know? So how have you managed to be an advocate for both groups? Because it's a lot oh, of work. out well,
1: sure, it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that people have been label, labeling myself as an activist or um you know a leader but that's a heavy crown on my head because I'm still trying to deal with (laughs) trying to operate in a business where it's 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 there's a lot of hidden discrimination that's happening. But I what I can say is is that our communities we have to uplift each other. That is so important. You know when nobody's perfect but in order for us to move forward, we have to come together. And slavery and American society has put us in a position, especially within black people, to go against each other and not, mm. you know, come together as a team and thrive together. Um you know, when I go up and sing, I try not to overindulge, not, not indulge, but like obsess, that's the word over me being trans before I sing because I have to realize what's my what's the message there's a message behind everything that I'm doing what's the message that I'm giving to the community and to people of color and black people and trans folks what why am I called to do this specific work so I have to remind myself that even though people put these labels and I'm tre- an activist and all that, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't want to call myself those things because it's not easy. Right. It's a lot, right. you know, to put on a, someone's plate. It so, is. But that's you, why we have Janet Mock and LeBron <laughs> and <all> that, so. <laughs> For sure.
0: But I think you need to know though, what you're doing and, and the kind of how you're presenting yourself. You're setting yourself up naturally to just be a role model, to be somebody that people can look up to. You are making positive mm-hmm. differences. So whether, you want to be called that or not you probably will be because (laughs) you really are making a difference and 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 I know there are going to be you know younger people that may be struggling that will see you and hear your story that are going to say you know what she did it so can I so you have it's a a big crown to wear but you you will look beautiful with that crown on (laughs) 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 so in general what do you think while you were transitioning, what was the biggest challenge for you?
1: Ooh, that's really hard. Um, I think family, mm-hmm. uh, uh, first thing. And second thing was employment, looking for a job. That was not an easy process. And, you know, I had to, you know, figure out how am I supposed to survive? Survivor was really the challenge and the key yeah. to... Um, being tra- and that's universal within the trans community is survival and that was right. something that I struggled with uh but with my family it was very hard my mother and I um we are doing really well and <laughs> I talked to her yesterday and the day before and she said Brianna I changed my contacts to Brianna my daughter I was like oh gosh they're and, uh, she, she changed the pronoun. So we are gradually evolving. It wasn't easy for her in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, because I do come from a deeply rooted Baptist Christian background. Yeah, so the yeah. religion is such a major part of, um, our family. So mm-hmm. I said, mom, I said, just because I transition does not make me a bad person. I mean, and it, it doesn't, uh, uh, make me a heathen or whatever, I'm just being my true self. But I think people need to understand that you can't judge people's spiritual journey. Right, and that okay. is something that I had to understand for myself on a personal level, that my spiritual journey is my own journey. If mm-hmm. I want to pray or do whatever, pray to Buddha, whatever, that is my journey.
0: Yeah, And
1: yeah. I should not feel judged or critiqued or be judged or critiqued because I'm on my own path. And so my mother... Really started to understand and get it. My father, I haven't spoken to my dad in 13 years. I still don't talk to him. Um, I remember when I transitioned, he said, The gates of hell are wide open and you're going to fall in it. Mm. <laughs> I, I try not to lie, but that's what he said. He said, The gates of hell is wide open and you're going to fall in it. Don't ever contact me. Don't call me. Nothing. You deserve to die. And that was it. That was the last phone call I have had with my father. And so I, I don't talk to him anymore.
0: Well, you have come out on the other side and I truly hope that you know that, you know, everything Thank that you're me. doing, <laughs> no, everything you're doing. And, and I just, everything you've been through. And here's the thing, here's the thing that drives me crazy because I, I grew up, you know, in the African Methodist Episcopal church and, you know, I have plenty mm. of friends that are in the LGBTQ community and, the thing that I've never understood, and again, this could be a completely different podcast <laughs> <laughs> talking about church community. <laughs> but if you say God doesn't make mistakes and God makes everybody in his image, then stick to that. Yes. So know that God didn't exactly. make you in his image. And you are exactly, you went through the journey you were supposed to go through to end up where you are right now. And I'm so mm-hmm. proud of you. <laughs> so proud of <laughs> well, you. Melinda,
1: yeah. I, I always say that, you know, the people who do the most judging has the most gutter butt nasty stuff going on behind closed <laughs> doors. And so, <laughs> and I just, I'm like, okay, keep judging, but you ain't perfect either. Right, right, Seriously.
0: right. Absolutely. They always cast stones. <laughs> well, I, if you are up for it, I would love for you to sing a little something for people to listen oh, no. to, you <laughs> if you're warmed up, if you feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable.
1: Okay, well, I'm not warmed up, but I will sing a little something. So I'll just do the summertime
0: from Porgy and Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So She's not warmed up, she says. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not.
1: I'm really, I truly am not warmed up.
0: (laughs) Well, that was beautiful. Brianna, thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk to you. Can you please let everyone know where they can find you and where they can follow you and your journey and your beautiful singing?
1: Yes. Yes, so uh, my Instagram is Brianna Elise Sinclair. So B-R-E-A-N-N-A. E-L-Y-C-E-S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R Oh my gosh, that is such a long name. <laughs> and you know, why did I do this to myself? And uh, you can just find me on Facebook on Brianna Lee Sinclair, and Twitter at Bria
0: Sinclair. B-R-E-A-S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R-E. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to speak yes, with you. you of course. Oh my God, yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk and we'll talk to you again next week.